I do have a few announcements. Uh, we're entering the season that heads up to a Resurrection Sunday, and uh, every year we have a Easter egg hunt that we do on the Saturday before Sunday Easter. And uh, Cheryl would like to, uh, those of you who can minister to the, uh, the the children over at Cypress Creek Apartments, where we have this every year. If you'd like to hide eggs and uh, hand out hot dogs and just help over there, please let her know. She would love uh, a little bit more on the volunteer side there. We also have a Seder on Good Friday, a uh, Passover Seder here that we've had for the last several years, and um, we're going to have it in here. Last week I said that we could hold about 240, but then we filled up 240 seats real quick, and so we actually came in here and set up tables and measured to see actually how many people we could put in here, and we feel pretty confident we can put 280 people in here instead of 240, so that's good, right? Uh, but as of now, we have five spots left of the 280 spots. So, um, but I do want you to know that if you want to be a part and, it's, and it fills up, then please put yourself on a waiting list uh, because there are some that may have signed up just to, to hold their spot, not knowing if they could come. We've had some canceled this week, so we've been able to include more. So uh, please sign up. You never know uh, what that would, would bring. Also, if you've signed up and you find that you can't be here, uh, please let us know so that we can get those uh, seats full. I want to start today by just letting you know there's a change. I'm going to change my schedule a little bit. Um, I'm going to end the uh, Blessed Life of Giving from the Heart series today instead of next week, and it may uh, put a little bit of a, um, a difference in the life groups because they're tracking with the sermons and the material that we've provided. Uh, but as I've been thinking and praying and studying for my uh, messages leading up to Easter, instead of taking two weeks, I I just feel like I want to take three weeks uh, on that, and so we're going to begin that next Sunday. And so that means in the book, if you're following along in your life groups, we're skipping the message that would come on week six, uh, the principle of multiplication. And um, life group leaders, do what you want. If you want to use that again this week and use uh, the, um, the principle of sowing and reaping, which I'm talking about today, the following week, you feel free to do that. Does everybody get that? I really am looking forward to the next three weeks as I've been kind of praying about it and studying it and seeing what God would lay on my heart to share with you. Uh, we're going to call this three-message series, It Is Finished. And um, I just want to put up the titles for you. Um, next Sunday, we're going to entitle it, Peter Said, It Is Not Me. And then on Palm Sunday, two weeks from today, the crowd said, It Is Crucifixion. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday, Jesus said, It Is Finished. And I just am praying that God would uh, put somebody on your heart that you might invite to come. Um, there's so many people trying so hard, trying so hard to be good, trying so hard to earn, trying so hard to not fail. And, um, you know, the message is Jesus has done it all. <laughs> Jesus has gone to the cross for us. He's fought the battle. He's won the victory. And the more we place faith in him, the more we trust him. Uh, the more he works in the life uh, that we live here on this earth. And the, I just am thrilled with the opportunity to be able to share this, and I hope you'll bring somebody with you. You know, whenever I preach, we're in a six-week uh, study on generosity. And whenever I preach on generosity, um, sometimes people will come and make comments to me uh, that are similar to this one. They'll say, I bet you hate to have to preach on this. <laughs> I bet you don't like this at all. 
but I realize it's in the Bible. There's all those scriptures. But it's just got to be hard to stand up there and talk about money in this day and age. And I've got to tell you, uh, nothing could really be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. I, I absolutely love talking about generosity. I really do. I, I look forward to it with great anticipation. And, and you know why? It, it's because there's this, the, the power that can come into a person's life if they understand the truth of God's word, believe in it, have faith and trust in it, and live it out. There's power. And for most people today, most Christians today, this is kind of like the final pin to drop. It's the final thing we get. I mean, we can understand the fullness of God's grace. We can understand the theology of salvation. We can understand that we're new creations and who we are in Christ. And we can have this great freedom in our life. Except here. It's kind of like that last stronghold of the old life for most people to just really just break free from. The spiritual fruit of focusing on what God's Word says is just powerful and plentiful. And so I love talking about these passages. I, I can't tell you the joy uh, that comes to my heart from hearing people say, you know, I have found complete freedom from the bondage of loving money. <laughs> I used to be enslaved by it. There was a stronghold in my life and I am so grateful for the freedom that God has brought into my life in this area. And it's not saying that they're rich. It's simply saying they're free. Amen. And today's scripture is one of those, uh, probably one of the best known on the subject, and it's found in 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. And I'm going to read half a dozen verses or so. In the context of this, if, if you have your Bibles and you open there, you can see that all of 2 Corinthians 8, all the way through this passage in 9, really deal with the heart of generosity, the sacrificial heart of allowing Christ Jesus to use this in our lives. And this is kind of the summation of that discourse across those two chapters. I'm going to read, starting at verse 6. He says this, Now this I say, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad and he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. The passage starts with one of the most basic laws of generosity, and it's this, you will always reap what you sow. And it's not just in money, but it's in a lot of things in life, right? And if you plant corn, you're going to get corn. It's that whole principle. You always will reap what you sow. And God gives us that promise here not to kind of motivate you as kind of some kind of carrot on a stick kind of motivation to give so you can get, but it's to free us from the fear of giving by showing us that there is a reward. There's a way in which God blesses this. Don't you think it's kind of basic to our nature to want to know what's expected of us? Sometimes people will ask, well, how much should I give? What's right? 
What should a Christian give to the work of the Lord? It's just kind of something that's ingrained in us. We want to know what the rules are. <laughs> we don't want to be wondering if we're doing things right. I mean, when you get a job, you want a job description. You don't want your boss coming to you and saying, well, just do what you think you ought to do. No, tell me what I want. I don't want to get in trouble. Tell me what, I want, what you want me to do, and I'll do it. I mean, people just want the law so bad, don't they? <laughs> they just want rules so bad. They want it spelled out, and it's so beautiful here because this passage just kind of ties us back to this overall call of the gospel. <laughs> the call of the gospel to look into the heart of Christ Jesus who lives in you. Give from your heart. He's drawing us back to the place of the heart. Look at verse 7, one of those famous verses. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Three powerful phrases. Do what he has purposed in your heart, not grudgingly, under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Each person should just give what your heart tells you to give. There's no formula, I'm sorry to tell you. If you've come to the generosity series to try to get a formula for how you ought to give, you're out of luck. There is no formula. There's no outside law giving you a standard to, to live by and to give by. I'm sorry, but the only way to know what you should give is to look into your heart where Jesus lives and talk to him about it. Now, let me explain this. The, the term heart, when used in Scripture, yeah, it's cardia where we kind of associate with the physical heart, but it really is talking about the center of who we are. It's the same as if it said your spirit. It's actually the essence of who we are. It's our identity. It's the control center. Other New Testament words are spirit or maybe soul sometimes. It's the real you, in other words. And we know that when Jesus gives his spirit into the life of a person who's been forgiven of his sins through the work of the cross, that he comes up and he takes residence where? In that place, at the core of who we are, in the essence of who we are. Does Jesus come and take up residence in our physical body? Some of you are thinking, is this a trick question? Does he take up residence in our physical body? How do we know he doesn't? Well, just look at you. Well, don't look at you. Look at your neighbor. Or look at me. Our bodies are still headed where? To death. And what's happened in our spirit, our heart, our soul? What was once dead has become alive and has become everlasting and has become eternal. And so Jesus says, don't look at the physical uh, the scripture says, don't look at this physical to decide on generosity. Look where? Look into the kingdom of God that's been implanted in your heart. You know, this whole new identity that we have, this, this whole presence of Christ in us, that's why we often say that you have a new name in Christ. 
You're no longer identified as the sinner, the ugly, dirty sinner that you used to be. Because at your core, at the middle, the essence of who you are, the real you, is Jesus. (laughs) By the power of His Spirit. And He is now your identity. And so when Paul is writing here that a person ought to decide in their heart, he's saying, talk to Jesus. (laughs) Work this out with Jesus. You know, I said it a few weeks ago, some people would rather give 10% than talk to Jesus about giving. (laughs) Right? Jesus, the greatest giver of all time. My point is this, give from the heart where the Holy Spirit is in control. Give from the heart where the Holy Spirit is in control. You don't have to worry about the law. You don't have to worry if you're doing it right. You don't have to worry if you're disappointing God. You just look to God who's living in your heart and let Him speak and funnel His resources through your life. It says don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. And I've often told people that if if they're grieving over their gift, if they're sorrowful over it, if it's just like gritting your teeth, don't give. Bet you never heard a pastor say that. Why should you not give if it's under compulsion or reluctantly? Because it has no no blessing attached to it. It has no power attached to it. It's fruitless. He keeps challenging us to this open-hearted, generous heart that just wants to bless and just wants to share and just wants to be a part of this grand plan of the kingdom of God. You know, there's a lot of people today that they wouldn't characterize sorrow and grief as their reaction to their lack of generosity. They They would just kind of feel incapable. They just don't feel like they have it. And they kind of dismiss the whole idea because they look at their checkbook or they look at their current financial strain and they, well, that's just impossible. And my challenge is this to that spirit, that, that whole mindset. My challenge is this. What would you do if you walked into work tomorrow and your boss told you the company's struggling and they're cutting your salary 10%? What would you do? And there's no other job you can go out and get to make even the money that the 10% loss is going to reflect. There's just nowhere. To, you're just trapped. What would you do? The better question is, what would you have to do? You'd have to adjust to the new reality. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Every person can experience the joy of generosity. Every single person right where you are, as impossible as it seems, can enjoy the wonders of generosity. Because it's not a financial thing. It's a heart thing. I hope that's been communicated through this series. Generosity is not a financial decision. It's a spiritual decision. And it's never done begrudgingly or under compulsion or reluctantly. Giving from the heart is never under compulsion. If you feel like you are giving under compulsion, it's not from your heart. It's to try to pacify God or try to do it right or it's some law-based kind of thing. 
But it's not the way God wants you to give. The final phrase is, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, if you've been around here long enough, I say this a lot. Because <laughs> I just think it's so cool. What's the Greek word for cheerful? Hilaros. The same word we get what English word from? Hilarious. Exceeding fun. Sometimes it's, the word is equated with the word party. And the contrast of this idea and that of compulsory, I have to kind of giving couldn't be more pronounced. There's a reason why these are put right together. It's kind of like instead of going to the offering box right after you leave church and you're on your way out and you just, should I, should I, should I, you just kind of grit your teeth. Oh, oh. It's the difference between that scene and the minute you hit the door on Sunday morning, you can't wait to get to the offering box. You're kind of doing a little jig on your way. And you kind of slam dunk it in there, even though we have the little slot now. It's kind of hard to do that. But And you just high five. You just, this is the greatest thing in the whole wide world. It's a party. And God loves it doesn't he? God loves it. He loves to see his children enjoying his life in them. It reminded me of a time I was visiting my son and his family. Let me tell a little one on Travis here. He just started out his job in Houston and we were talking and he was so excited and he said, I got to show you and mom something. I said, what's that? And he brought out this bag. It's one of those mesh bags with a pull string top and uh, it was a big Pretty sizable bag. It had all kinds of stuff in it. He said, you know, I've been driving around Houston. I see all these people on street corners holding signs. And he says, you know, I don't feel right about giving them money. I don't know what they're going to do with that money. And so I just felt like I would just do something. I would just hand them this bag of stuff. And this is like my son. He went out and bought a bunch of MREs. You know what MREs are? Military meals ready to eat. Some of you are grossing out right now, but he says they're good. He used to add water, and so he bought a bunch of water bottles, and he put a bunch of water bottles in there, and he bunch a bunch of snacks and all these kinds of things, and then he went out and bought really nice Bibles, and he put a nice Bible in every one of those bags. And just as he drives around Houston, when he sees somebody with a sign up, he'll offer them a bag. And I couldn't tell you how excited he was to tell us about that. And I'm telling you, how excited do you think a father's heart is over the joy of generosity in our kids? And I'm telling you, that pales in comparison to the joy that God gets when he sees the, the flow of his resources through you. Hilaros is everywhere. And so I have to put it up there. Giving from the heart is a party. Giving from the heart is a party. And God, it doesn't stop there. There are things that God wants to say to you in response to cheerful giving. And you find it in verse 8. Look what he says. And God is able 
to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. In case you weren't going to be able to get it, I underlined it all. You catch the message of completeness, of promise, all grace, always, all sufficiency, everything, every good deed. It's almost as if Paul is writing this to the church at Corinth, and he says, I don't want the theologians dissecting this verse. I'm going to make it so clear. Everybody will be in agreement about this forever. Doing things God's way will always bring the provision of his abounding grace, and it will supply everything needed for the callings he puts within your heart. The ways in which he calls you to give, he will provide for. He will bless and will always be abundant. Hope you believe that today. Some people today, the reason they hold on is because of a fear of a lack of security. I'm not going to have enough when I retire. I'm not going to have enough at the end of the month. I need to provide for my own security, and I'm here to tell you, only God provides complete security. Only God provides complete security. If you trust in your 401k, we say this often, but we don't really believe it, but we say, it could be gone tomorrow. Yeah, it could be, but it won't. I'm really trusting in it. You know, I understand that sometimes God's way can seem kind of wrong to us. You want me to take that job? I won't get paid as much, God. God, you want me to move and do that? You want me to give that? Well, uh, God, if I give that, let me explain to you what that means. Have you ever explained things to God? I have. I'll just admit it. I have. Well, God, if I give that, you know what that's going to mean. You're going to have to come through. And, you know, his response is, yeah, right? You know, Robert Morris, he wrote the book, The Blessed Life, and there's a story in there. He tells of a time in his life when he received and gave away nine cars in an 18-month period. It's just what God wanted to do through him in that period of time. And one family in his church heard about it, and they wanted to give a, a car to someone else and they wanted it anonymously so they says uh, pastor we're going to give this car to you you transfer the title into your name and then you can go ahead and transfer it in they won't know who's giving it to them it'll all be wonderful and so he says okay let's do that and so robert takes uh, the car and he goes and he gets it titled at the uh, dmv and um, he is now going to take it he didn't want it in his possession very long and so he's going to just take it from there to the new family, and as he leaves the DMV on the way to the new family, the engine blows out. What luck, right? Well, I have to ask myself, and I'll ask you, how would you feel? Why did I ever say yes to this? Right? Why did I ever say yes to this? And he was scrumbling and complaining around, and of course you always talk to God about these things, right? He says, after all I've done, you ever tried that one with God? I preach every week your good news. 
Here's the way he felt like God was talking to him. He says, I planned it that way, son. The person who was giving the car away didn't have the money to put a new engine in. The family receiving it certainly didn't. But I've blessed you financially. You had the money, and you said that it's all my money anyway, right? I've orchestrated these details absolutely perfect. And then he felt like the Lord was saying this to him, Son, you should be grateful that I blessed you financially and that I blessed you with the privilege of putting a new engine in the vehicle for that family. And now, if you're tired of being a blessing to other people, I can certainly direct these resources to somebody else. It comes back to that whole thing. Whose is it? Where's my security? I can really relate to this story because this is, this is how I feel about car repairs. It's the worst thing. Sorry, Alan. Uh, no, it's... When my car breaks down, it's like, oh! And I've gotten to the point where I've said, okay, if you want the mechanic to get all that money, it's your money! There's a lot of freedom in that, let me tell you. There's a lot of freedom in that. In this passage, you hear a lot of talk like sowing and reaping and seeds and harvest. It's this agricultural metaphor that that church at Corinth would have surely got. It's this language of seed, planting, harvesting. And so the, the question is, how do you view the money in, under your stewardship, under your control? How do you view it? Is there this, it meets my needs, or is it satisfying my greed? Or, it is actu- or is it actually seed that can be planted for a harvest? Because you have to understand that perspective as we read verses 10 and 11. Look at it says. It says, Now he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. So the first question is, who does God give seed to? Verse 10, who does God give seed to? Sowers. Just think about that for a minute. God gives seed to people who will sow it, plant it for a harvest. Let's say you're a farmer back in those days and you have this bag of seed and you can grind it and make flour and you can build, make bread and your family's hungry. So you take the bag of seed and you grind it all and you eat it hoping that after you get full and hungry again, there's going to be some more seed show up somewhere somehow. Or you could take a little bit of seed, make a little bit to get by for that day and invest the rest of the seed in something that will produce a harvest that will feed you for more than just a day. I've heard people say, sure, that guy's a giver. But he can afford to. He's got all that money. Don't they have it backwards? Maybe it's that guy has money because why? Because he's a sower. Verse 11 kind of brings it all together. It says that the sower will be enriched 
in everything for a specific purpose. The sower will be enriched for all liberality or generosity, which means this open-handed, generous, it's yours, God, here it is. You take it and use it however you want to. I love the way Randy Alcorn puts it in the treasure principle. It's his last uh, principle of the book. He says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Amen. We all do that, don't we? We get that new raise, or we get that windfall of money, and we say, yes, Lord, it's all yours. There might be some who would say, well, man, I can finally get that better house. I can finally get that better car. I can finally take that dream vacation. Uh, don't get me wrong. Is it bad to have nice things? No. It's not bad to have nice things. Is it bad to take vacations? No. Is it bad to, to, to get things in our life that, uh, that bless us? No. But think about it for a minute. If you're a one who is a party giver, a heleros giver, you just love it, you love it, you love it, and you get a windfall, you want more of that. And so you're always looking for a way to get more heleros. Oh, yeah, I've got to take care of my needs. And there's a, yeah, the car's kind of getting old now. But kind of satisfying my personal needs is just not near as fun. You know, it's hard to preach on this subject without bringing up the name of R.G. Letourneau. Letourneau University in Longview. My son went there. So others have had kids go there. He founded this Christian college, and he dedicated it to uh, raising up Christian engineers. He felt like back in the 40s that there wasn't any place for a Christian young man to study engineering, and so he started this school to provide a quality Christian education for engineers. And now it's a bigger school. provides a lot of different things. Only had a seventh grade education, taught himself engineering. When he died, he had over 90 patents, mainly in uh, bulldozers and earth movers and those kinds of construction uh, machines. And one day, he was uh, early on in the business, and it was in debt, and he was struggling, and his, his sister kept nagging him, <laughs> saying, you need to get right with the Lord. You need, to, you need to get connected with Jesus, and he did. And he made this commitment that the Lord would be his business partner and he would do whatever it is that the Lord asked him to do with the business and he would continually be aware of how good God was to him and be generous with his money. And um, the, the, the business just, as you can imagine, just started to grow by leaps and bounds. And every year, not only did he give more money, but he decided, I'm going to give a higher percentage. Even though I have a lot more money this year than I did last year, I'm going to up my percentage and it wasn't very long until he was giving 90% of his money and living on 10%. He tells it like, he says, you know, as I received more and more blessing, he said it was as if my debt to God just grew more and more and more. The more aware I became of the cross the more I aware, became aware of his grace and his goodness to me. How could I withhold? How could I, how could I find a way to say thank? How could I find a way to express? 
And people would ask him because it became kind of legendary. Arginal Eterno, he gives 90% of his income to the Lord. Wow. They would ask him about it, and his famous quote is this. The question is not how much of my money I give to God, but rather how much of God's money I keep for myself. The question is not how much of my money I give to God, but it's how much of God's money I keep for myself. That's just the perspective of generosity. It's not my money. It's not my resources. It's not my time. It's not my house, my car. It's his. And I am in debt to him. He's been so good to us. Generosity is not a financial decision. It's a spiritual decision. You always reap what you sow. God is always able to make all grace abound to you. God gives seed to those who will sow it. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you so much for the freedom that Scripture teaches that generosity is all tied to our heart and it's, it's, all, it's not a compartmentalized area of our life. It's integrated into the essence of who we are. It's just the life that you want for us. There's this, this understanding of the hilaros, the party, the joy, the fun, the excitement of being used by you to distribute the resources of the kingdom, to see the kingdom blessed and encouraged and furthered. And Father, I pray specifically today for the person that may be here today and uh, they feel a, a sense of guilt or, or shame or they just are locked in a, a, a prison of fear. Financially. They just fear that if they let go of this little bit, they're going to run out. And they, and they talk to you or they hear these messages and they just say, well, I, I can't do that. So now I fear that I'm disobeying God. I fear God. And I'm just locked in this prison of fear. I pray today, Father, for the seed of faith to grow in their life. Oh, I pray for the seed of faith to believe in a God that can supply seed to the sower, that they would begin a path towards seeing this fruitfulness grow in their life. Show them how to give. Show them where to bless others. Show them how to follow you, connect with you. And Father, I pray specifically for our church. You know the ways in which you've used this church as a community to bless others, to Bless the work in Moldova, like Slava being here. and Bless the missionaries that we connect and partner with all over the world. And the commitment that we've made this year to give more than ever. And Father, I, I pray for this church that you would continually be raising our desire, heart, to be a church that cares about others. And we will follow your lead in such a way that allows us to be used of you to funnel your resources 
into the kingdom of God. Lead us, Father. Lead us, guide us. We want to hear from you. Lord, it's all because that uh, you have ransomed us. <laughs> Your grace has changed us. We have been given new life. The old us is gone. And we rejoice in that today. We worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Would you stand? Let's just sing this song again.